Hello, everyone, and welcome to Natural Geekery, a podcast about the multifaceted world of gaming, role-playing, creativity, as well as its vast community. This is episode number six. I'm Brian. Welcome aboard. So today on Natural Geekery, I thought I would change the gears just a little bit. We've had a couple of interviews that I have thoroughly enjoyed, and there's going to be more coming down the way. But what I wanted to do today is uh, drop back and look at a creative project that I'd mentioned a few episodes ago. Now that project is called Letters to My Uncle, and it's a creative storytelling project that I'll be doing through this podcast, and it'll be sort of in a serial form. I hope you guys enjoy it. For more of an overview, I did an episode zero for this whole project, and I'll put a link to that episode down in the show notes of this show so you can go back and listen to it and kind of get a better idea of what's going on. This whole project is kind of a a love letter, if you will, to the critter community, to Critical Role itself. Um, It's a way for me to give back because there are so many folks in the community that, that do cosplay and photography and artwork and I don't really have a way to do that. What I have is my voice acting, my narration, and my podcasting, my writing, all that stuff. And I, I want to put it out there for you guys to hopefully enjoy. The Letters to My Uncle take place in Taldore, which is the world and the setting of Season 1 Vox Machina of the Critical Role show. And actually, the uncle that is mentioned is Drake Thunderbrand who is a Dwarven character voiced by uh, Matthew Mercer. And I think you meet him in episode one or two. I'm not sure. But it, this all takes place in that world. And so it gives me a chance to kind of give back a little bit as well as share my love for my home game and the, the friends that I have made around the table playing this game. So these letters are going to be narration, if you will, of what's happened in the game and the expedition to this mysterious lost island. And there's several of these to come and I, I hope you enjoy them. Uh, I've enjoyed doing them. They've been a bit of a challenge. Uh, you're going to hear an accent that I would consider Dwarven. It may sound Scottish, but let's call it Dwarven and, and we'll go from there. So uh, yeah, I think without further ado, let's get into Letters to My Uncle, episode one. Mr. 22, dear Uncle Drake, as promised, let me begin a description of our expedition with Professor Jorlin Vor and our return to Visa Isle. I'll do what I can to capture what events and adventures transpire not only for your knowledge, but also for antiquity. Under your tutelage as well as my own independent study, I've learned the true value of well-written documentation. I hope I can do our travels justice, and I look forward to telling more of these stories to you in person over a keg or two of your finest ale. I know you've met my travelling companions not only during the Ivory Tower incident, but also later as we discuss the matters around Whitestone and what we discovered to the north. I feel it's important, though, for whomever else may find themselves reading these letters in time, to cover my travelling companions, our airship and the other members of our expedition. If we prove victorious in our undertaking with this journey, well, these names could be of some importance in time. First, my companions. When I was first contacted by the half-orc Professor Vor and informed he was building another expedition to the floating misery that's Visa Isle, I was actually quite excited. As we have discussed privately, much of my research has led me to this isle as well, and although the first trip was short and ill-fated, I still think some of my questions may be answered there. 
when he mentioned he had found some specialists to assist in the undertaking, I became a bit more suspicious. Though incredibly knowledgeable in matters of his specialty, he can be somewhat naive to the nuances of hiring solid people. I stayed near Iman, waiting for these specialists to return from some travel into the north and possibly our home, Craighammer. After a lengthy wait, I was notified by the professor they'd returned, and he'd like to introduce me to them. They were a rough and old lot, and I was not sure what to make of them at first. The professor had told me they were all guild members in that haunting group called the Slayer's Take, but they preferred the team name of Team Lightning. I will admit I chuckled at its simplicity when I first heard it. In an age when guilds and groups take long dramatic names to make themselves feel better about themselves, I thought a bit unusual and a bit simple. However, over time, I've since come to understand how fit a name it truly is for this group. My experience with the Slayer's Take, well, it's been rare, but on one time I did encounter a member they had been to my liking, rough around the edges, capable under stress. In the rough around the edges description, they appeared no different. In time, as you well know, they've come to be my trusted allies and friends. Well, except for the elf, but we know how that goes, eh? Allow me to give a brief summary of them, and in another missive I'll move on to the expedition. Their de facto leader, Thrumatrarasan, is a gruff-looking and sounding human sky sailor who amongst his friends prefers to go by the name Tattersail, this being the condition of the sails upon the ship he was born into after a particularly rough storm. Born as a sky sailor to a mother who also plied the trade winds of the airships, he's keen of eye, quick to tactics, prefers direct action, and with his various magical abilities is a veritable thunderstorm in effect. Due to some connection to Cord the Stormlord, which is unknown to me, he offers homage before any journey, and lightning and sparks will often be seen playing over his skin and clothing, and when upset, sparks and shards can be seen from his eyes. As I've mentioned to you before, he seems to be one of the few humans who would probably fit in quite well with other people. Another aspect of his association with Cord, I found him to be as unpredictable in his moods as the weather over the Cliff Keep Mountains. I and my companions have learned this and found, hell in a way, it's an endearing aspect of his personality. He carries a magical scimitar that I'd loathe to be found on the opposite side of in a conflict. He was the first to welcome me and offer me a drink upon meeting the group, and I found I liked him instantly. His passions leaned to my own, and we've put down large quantities of ale and spirits and told stories long into the evening when he's in a light mood. When his mood is dark, though, the evenings can become quite dour. But even then, I'll sit and drink with him late into the evening. Elwyn is a black-haired half-elf and is another fierce fighter in our group. With her arms covered in scars, she calls herself a blood hunter and is focused intently on rooting out the darker energies of the land. She's often seen in dark red studded leather armor and with her long black hair braided and kept to the right side. She carries an odd array of magical abilities focused around her own blood. The scars on her arm attest to that, as well as extraordinary strength thanks to a magical belt. She's quite calm most of the time, with the only exception being the promise of an upcoming fight or, more intensely, the hunt of an evil beast or a denizen. She loathes them, and when faced with the fact of one nearby, she can become as intense as Tattersail in her pursuit of it. Let markings of an evil god be found, and her calm, peaceful posture shifts into something very formidable. As you well know, Uncle... She recently spent all of her savings on a magnificent magical longsword at Gilmore's, in Iman. You know the blade well. 
and she's carrying it with honour. You should know that, and you should see her in action with it. Another human in our group, sold in Ver, is quite different in many aspects to Tattersail. A member of the Er Ashari tribe and a druid from the summit peaks of East Teldori. He's quite fast and agile with his slim build, and he wears well-weathered studded armour and a long black magical cloak of arachnidia, giving him the ability to climb walls and all manner of surfaces. He carries a walking stick made of driftwood. I would say he's the happiest of the group and the most easygoing. He has a friendly, relaxed manner about him in nearly all situations, both in gesture and in speech, and this can be quite welcome when things are a bit tense. I believe this comes from his connection to nature and to the earth. Getting used to his ability to shift into the form of a giant eagle or a bear or a spider was one of the more difficult things I had to get used to in my early days with him. In a way, he reminds me of some of our stone carvers who have become so in touch with the stone that they work every day that nothing can rile them from their calm, solid stance. Unlike them, he carries a smile easily and was with Tatarsail and welcoming me with open arms. Most importantly, he carries an ancient artifact called Viridian. You've seen it, uncle, and you know what I speak. It is rare to see a vestige in the world these days, and it conceals itself well in the form of his walking stick. However, when he summons it, turns a simple piece of driftwood into a shining long spear blazing with radiant green energy, there is no doubt in anyone's mind it is a legendary item. A companion of Elowen is another half-elf, Vera Coley, and she is an enigma. A magical practitioner, she's of average build and pale complexion. At first glance, she seems a slight half-elven woman with all the beauty of that mixed race diluted slightly by the dark shadows that encircle her eyes. Like Elowen, she wears studded armor, but hers is a mix of darker blues. Her dark eyes carry a hint of something I can't place, something haunting and sad, and she seems to carry her a weight of something. I, I don't know, I cannot quite place a finger on it. As you spend more time with her, though, there are elements that make her a disturbing presence. The first time I saw her use her magic, I was taken aback as it was shadowy and twisted. Dark tendrils moved around her arms, and the effects of her magic, once in a fight against enemies, she spoke to my mind, and in the background of that voice was something whispering, hissing, and uncomfortable. Finally, her weapon is something summoned from thin air with her magical ability. A black rapier, which... If you look closely, has eddies and swirls of an odd, thick, tentacle-like mist wrapping around it. She can summon it at will. She's quite proficient with it. It was only later that I was to find out from Elowen that Vader's past is speckled with darkness and mystery, that once she might have been a pawn for a larger, darker power, and that this is where she's gained many of her abilities. I will not place that information here, not only out of protection for my friend, but because it's not necessary for our expedition. Regardless, this makes her friendship with Elowen even more of a mystery, but it appears Vader is trying very hard to redeem herself from whatever her past actions might have been. Vader confided in me shortly after the meeting that she too knew the ins and outs of avoiding detection and knowing when silence is key. As you may imagine, Uncle, this led me to remember my own youthful follies, and in turn, even now, the skills I put to good use. After her little admission, I spoke a bit of the cat to her, and she in turn replied, and from that, well... A certain trust was born. After hearing more of a past from Elowen, I've grown concerned for Veda, and, oddly enough, protective. That leaves the elf. I'm sure it is no amount of amusement for you to hear that I'm travelling with an elf these days. 
His name is Soverian Andirme, and he will gladly tell you about the long family line he comes from and his place in history. Matter of fact, he'll gladly tell you anything you'd like to know regarding the entirety of knowledge he holds, most specifically that knowledge in magic. Also history, clothing, food. As you know, I pride myself on my historical knowledge, especially in regards to artifacts and ancient lore. This has only brought us to near blows once. Oh yeah, lest I forget, he'll also go into great detail on how much he dislikes dwarves. His family appears to be well-known, even famous merchants of exquisite elven clothing. That he is knowledgeable in the magical arts is in no question. Though he is perhaps one of the most annoying elven peacocks I've ever had the misfortune to travel with, his prolific library of spells has proven incredibly useful time and time again. In keeping in theme with a group name, he's quite adept at lightning bolts and storm spheres. Oh, the other, uh, redeeming thing. His familiar is a small, colourful pixie dragon who is quite fond of pastries. Severian keeps these well on hand with ample use of a specialised summon pastry spell. Without the presence of the pixie dragon, the elf would be intolerable. We've traded a few barbs, but as Valite, I mostly ignore him, and he I. I promised myself that I would not put a bullet into him, and he seems agreeable to not fry in my backside with a lightning bolt. It seems to be working out well enough. And that's really all the time I want to waste writing about him. So that's the rogues gallery of a crew I find myself with these days. From previous adventures and debts owed them, the crew has found themselves the owner of a small skyship. I was there when it was delivered to them and they've dubbed it the Nimbus. I've grown a bit more accustomed to it over time, but I doubt I'll ever be fully comfortable upon it. A dwarf has no place upon water on the deck of a ship, let alone that same ship moving through the sky above our beloved earth and stone. When I travel upon it, I tend to stay to the centre of the ship, as I have discovered. I also do not like heights. Keep your comments to yourself, please, Uncle. The crew of the Nimbus is a small but dedicated one. Tatar sails its captain by default. Soldan is our helmsman. Soverian is navigation and maps. Vida handles Regan and lookout, and Elwin is our quartermaster. I... Of course, take on the duties of Chief Gunnar. Other members of our crew who help us with the daily duties of the ship are as follows. Chief among them is a female Marquisian Janasi named Kyla Chen, who is our chief engineer. Her and Soldan have been enjoying each other's company as a late, and a female human by the name of Claire Duvalon is the crew leader. Claire's bosun mate is Marchanel, a female elf who I can actually stand, which is a nice contrast to Severian. There is Tazanam, a female gnome who takes care of our cargo, and finally, Requilus, a male human from Baselheim who's a general crew member when he's not taking care of any animals we may have on board. And yes, we do have animals on board, or well, I'm, so I'm told. All in all, it's a solid and tight crew, and after numerous miles and actions together, there's little trouble on board. In addition, it helps that our little group of adventurers have all agreed to make sure our crew is paid well and often. There has been no issues and we've yet to lose a crew member in an engagement. The Nimbus herself is a sleek ship, small by airship standards go, but fast and agile. Even as a dwarf, I can tell craftsmanship when I see it, and I see it in every line and curve of her design. Her large crystal and broomstone engines which power the ship aloft are set two at the helm to either side and two at the stern. They blaze a pale azure colour from their mountings and offer a slight hum if you're standing near them. 
I do not understand them as of yet, but hope to have the time to learn more from Kyla. But when the nimbus is in the air, there is no sound of waves. There is only the sound of the wood creaking of the ship, the crew moving about, ropes and tackle bumping together, the crackling of the sail if it's moving, and the ever-present sound of wind whistling along the deck. With that, I'll bring this letter to a close. I hope all is well with you and your work. I look forward to hearing about any advancements not only in and around Whitestone, but with your own personal projects as well. All the best, Uncle. Your nephew, Kelsey Raven Eye Thunderbrand. Well, that brings us to a close to the letter number one of Letters to My Uncle. I hope you enjoyed that. More to come with more letters very soon. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you think about this little project. Um, on the podcast side of things, the interview schedule for September and October is definitely shaping up. If you'd like to be interviewed, please contact me on either uh, the, the email at naturalgeekery at gmail.com or you can reach out and find me on Twitter. Be sure to, to hit me up on either one of those spaces if you would like to be involved in an interview. And this, this is for everyone. Um, these can be short interviews. These can be long interviews. But uh, if you want to talk gaming on Geekery and you want to tell me about your character, talk to me. We will, we will get you on the show. We are on all the major directories now. I was very happily notified that we are on Apple Podcasts. So we are up and running. And it's all based on you guys helping me get the word out. So I'd appreciate anything you can do on that. And that's going to be it for Episode 6. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the Natural Geekery Podcast. I will definitely catch you on the next one. Don't forget, you're needed out here. Make a plan, roll some dice. Have some fun. Be a good person. Talk to you on the next one, everybody. Bye-bye.